Welcome back to The Deep Thane. I am Zach Elliott, joined here as always with Raven. How are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you today? I'm pretty good. It's a really gloomy day. It's been raining the last two days when, at this point, I would kind of just prefer it be snowing, but... It's it's not freezing cold, but it is cold and gray, so... Well, and it's just nasty enough that when, like this morning, like walking Georgia, when I come back in... Both couches have dog footprints all over them. Yeah, not 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 a fun time. Anyhow, uh, today we're going to be running through some of the NFL games this last week, uh, focusing in a little bit on the disaster that is the team in this city, then going through some NBA rookies and some uh, hot, not, and just right, some Goldilocks teams in the NBA, and then finishing off with some bad bets. But uh, without further ado... Starting with the um, the disaster class, the ass factory that was uh, Bears twenty six, Lions thirty one. Couple of key notes: uh, the Bears had a forty one minute to nineteen minute time of possession advantage over the Lions. Had five forced turnovers to one committed. Had possibly the most embarrassing safety to end a game I've ever seen. Yeah, that was uh that was a stand up and walk away from the TV moment. Coming off his strong side, he gets strip sacked. Like I get it. But come on, man. Come on, man. I launched my phone across the room. That's valid. And then you come away from it. The Bears aren't going anywhere. It's Fields first games back after Agent Bajan has been holding it down the last few weeks. I would say Fields isn't irredeemable. Looking through just some of the numbers, he has an 8.9-yard dot average depth of target, which is tied for 7th in the league with guys like Lamar and Jalen Hurts. So he pushes the ball downfield. He has the highest touchdown percentage, so the ratio of his passes that are touchdowns in the NFL. And per PFF, per... Even the eye test, he's got a good deep ball. There was a play to Tyler Scott where it was honestly just like a gorgeous Mahomesian deep ball that if Scott was able to track a football. Yeah, I know I know what play you're talking about. Well, because he looks up, he stumbles, and then it lands way out in front of him because he didn't just run under the ball. Yeah. That's the same thing as uh, we're recording this Tuesday morning. It's the same thing as Monday night with Marquez Valdez-Scantling mm-hmm. not running under the ball. Or he did, he just drops it. I mean, this happened with Quentin Johnson for the Chargers. Yeah, I was going to say the Chargers game came down to that play, too. I'm not saying that Fields is Herbert or Mahomes. What I am saying is that sometimes your receivers let you down. Um, Sometimes your coaches let you down. There was a sequence towards the end of the game. This is how the Lions got the ball back to to put themselves up. That Getsy called Luke Getsy, the Bears' offensive coordinator. Just over three minutes left, lines up in 13 personnel. That means one running back and three tight ends. You're not passing out of 13 personnel. He runs the ball on first down. The Lions call a timeout. He runs the ball on second down. The Lions call a timeout. Then they throw a ill-fated third down throw that goes nowhere. They run like 10 seconds off clock, and then the Lions get the ball back and score, and then it leads to the infamous safety. On the other side... Fields is somewhat to blame. You can't just blame the offensive line anymore. Uh, Tevin Jenkins and Darnell Wright are 
improving. Wright is probably better than Jenkins at this point. Braxton Jones is solid when he doesn't get poked in the eye. Cody Whitehair was out for a lot of the game, but was it has been a vet for a long time. And Fields has the highest time to throw in the league, over three seconds. And he's still prone to the game-ending mistakes that we criticize someone like Lamar Jackson for, but does not have the during-the-game, rest-of-the-game performance to justify it. I mean, if you look at him for the f- rest of the game besides that final drive... He wasn't bad. He wasn't bad. No, like that's what I'm saying is he was a good quarterback. This was the one of the first times like I could look at the Bears and be like, yeah, that was a competent team that they should have dropped 50 points on. They the really domes. should have. They should have. And you know, I was watching the game with all Lions fans. So that sounds hellish. I mean, I was with Oliver and other people. Um, but yeah, it was it was an interesting game to watch from like their perspective too, where, you know, golf three interceptions, you know, you're not doing yeah, good. He's been so good this year and the last three years that if you get that game out of him, you need to win. And luck, they luckily did with their defense and they find their defense finally looked like the lions looked like the lions defense for the first time in that game towards the end. But yeah, Hutchinson is a monster. And oh my gosh. He, him coming around the edge, like, that deserved to be a sack. I mean, Fields is fast enough that he, sh- he should escape, especially when he sees it coming from his strong side. But it was a good play at the end of the game, and then the safety looked worse than it had to because at that point, honestly, you're better off just letting it go out the back of the end zone than a touchdown. Than someone getting it on it, yeah. It was just gross. I went through the thought exercise that if Fields was a free agent at the end of this year, who would sign him? And thinking about it through the lens of this game, I got to a few where Fields would be signed, expected to start pretty much right away. Um, the Patriots, if they don't get a high enough pick to draft a QB, they feel comfortable starting right away. He would be good there. The Commanders, he could supplant Sam Howell in a minute. The Steelers, uh, after just firing Matt Canada and Kenny Pickett, this is kind of my theory, and this is why I, I don't think Fields is going to get much better than he is now, which... His combination of deep passing and running, he can start, at least for someone. I don't think that that lends itself to a long career, but young quarterbacks, the ones that are really good, the Strouds of the world, the the Newtons, Andrew Lux, barring injury like Robert Griffin, you know pretty much right away. Or in their second year like Trevor Lawrence. You know they're going to be good. And to see someone in their third year still struggle... I mean, think about it with uh, it's like switching gears to basketball. Chet Holmgren comes in after a year and looks great after some time in the system, and he didn't even play on the court. I mean, Ben Simmons. But I don't think Fields is ever going to be much better than he is now, but that's still good enough to start for bad teams. Uh, Rams, Bucks. the two that interest me the most are the Falcons, just because I don't. they're already not going to get a high enough pick to get no, they're not. one of the top two guys. They might draft like a Michael Penix, and that would be probably for the best just oh, to have someone. Yeah, but I feel like they have better odds of trying to get after someone in the league. Like, I don't know who's injured quarterbacks are coming back soon, and they're the backups who have been doing pretty good. Like, I mean... What is it? Cousins coming back next year? Is that Cousins it? is an option. It it depends if you think that they have enough offense and defensive infrastructure to support a winner if you just drop a good QB in. 
which in my opinion they don't, but a, especially on defense. No, defense is too weak for the Falcons. The one I liked was the Raiders. Um, Aiden O'Connell is fun as a fifth-round rookie, but boiler up. Bringing in someone like Fields with a little bit more optimism and on a relatively cheap deal would be something that a that a Mark Davis would do. And honestly, I think if the if the Bears are to trade him at the end of the year, I, I don't think they're going to do that because I don't think they'll be able to. But if they were and just trade him for a late-round pick swap or something, I think the Raiders could be someone that jumped on it. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, speaking of depressing quarterback situations, uh, Bengals 20, Ravens 34. Jake Browning, pride of University of Washington, is in for the rest of the year. The Bengals set themselves up for failure by having the worst backup situation in the league. But now that Burrow's going to be out for the year and they have T. Higgins leaving... I heard someone compare um, compare Burrow to Dan Marino, having really, why would someone do that? Having a really good start to your career, getting to the Super Bowl in your second year, and then just going Marino downhill. never got back. Yeah, just going downhill after. I can see that then. Okay, I think it's a stretch right now. I think it could very much be more of an Aaron Rodgers thing. Does he need to get into an Ace Ventura movie first? I don't think that that's a boon for anyone's professional career. The only recent example I can think of of movies leading to something, it's kind of like a Kardashian curse. Uh, Anthony Edwards was was fun. Anthony Edwards was a really fun one. I would love to and see him in a movie. And... Uh, Jake Browning should star in an Ace Ventura movie. Uh, <laughs> that would be great. Cowboys 33, Panthers 10. Uh, disgusting. Tony Pollard finally scores a touchdown a week after I'd trade him in fantasy. Uh, Reich, Frank Reich is probably one and done. I don't, I don't really think that's uncomfortable to say. I think the writing's on the wall for him too, that they brought in the number one pick. Yes, it's behind a, a questionable line and with questionable receivers, but he has done nothing to elevate the talent. Look at Jonathan Gannon for the Cardinals, who was scrapping together something competitive when Kyler was out and now... They're in games and winning one last week when he's back. They're one and nine. The Bears are going to get the number one pick, especially with the Giants winning, unless the Patriots suck down the stretch and the Panthers somehow pull it out of their ass. He is, he is a complete failure. And I know that it sounds harsh, but when you have a guy like Bryce come in and you don't scheme it in a way that at least protects him better. I know that some of his shortcomings have laid to bear in the early part of the season, but I can't help but think that if he was in Houston with D'Amico Ryans, that it would look a lot better. I think Stroud would also look better than Bryce has in Carolina because I think he's a better quarterback. But it's one of the purest examples of nature versus nurture in recent memory where you have two immensely talented guys in different ways, and one of them has put been put in the right situation to succeed with a mind capable of supporting him, and one has been put in a situation that has led to his failure so far, and it sucks. Steelers 10, Browns 13. Pickett has been bad enough that, like I said, I think they'd be a good field trade candidate team or, um, or honestly a Trey Lance team. I know he's just toiling on the Cowboys bench, but that seems like someone that the Steelers would think about 
doing kind of the same thing that the Cowboys did, throwing him on the bench. But unlike on the Cowboys, he actually has a stand, a chance to win the job. Just because I think, oh, what was the stat? I think Tommy DeVito now has more multi-touchdown games in his career than Kenny Pickett. That's insane. So I don't want to say I've seen enough, but I would kind of be lying to flatter. yourself. Oh, you're lying to yourself, but lying yourself to only blame Matt Canada. Now that he's gone, there has to be improvement. There has to be substantial improvement before the end of the year. Otherwise, you really have to look at it. He was a late first. It wasn't a top of the draft guy. I know he's a Pittsburgh hero, but I think you're bordering on. I mean, can we all this say. This is do or die time for him. Can we all say that Matt Canada just. <laughs> just a, just a I, crappy career, man. Mike Tomlin said night. A nice press, uh, not a nice press conference. A nice press release on the way out, and the the only thing I can say about it is when other teams fans know your offensive coordinator's name, it's not a good thing. It's not a good sign. Chargers twenty, Packers twenty three. Brandon Staley is on fired watch. He's just a sad, sad, angry boy who he grew like the the depression beard and. It's clear that he's going through. They should have won that game. If they should have. Quentin Johnston dropped a ball in his hands. No. Those receiver gloves are like so sticky. Gorilla glue. Yeah. It hits you in the hands. I understand that it has some heat on it. You're a first round pick. Catch the Come ball. Come on. Yeah. And it makes it hard because I think everyone who really likes football watches Herbert and says that he. He might, should be good. He is good. He, he might is be good, the but most, he should be like on a winning team that is getting somewhere every year. He might be the most talented thrower in the league. He above forty yards. I feel like he can almost always get it on the dime. He is like a football Cybertron, launching piss missiles across all areas of the field, and he's been doing it since. His rookie year. Would you say it's like Roger esque? I think Rogers. No, that's kind. That's where the only rub is. Where I think Herbert operates so cleanly within the system provided to him that oftentimes he can lack a little creativity, but he puts it on the dime within structure so often that he doesn't need to get out of structure. He's actually been using his legs a little bit more recently. Especially in the way he did in last year when his ribs were half broken. Yeah, oh my god. But I it's hard because kind of like Bryson Stroud, I want to separate him from his situation and just keep it on the record that he is a top three quarterback. It's Mahomes, Allen, and then him, and some days I would put him over Allen. I just want him to be free, but he will not anytime soon. Cardinals 16, Texans 21. Uh, Jonathan Gannon is a good coach. Kyler is a good quarterback. Cardinals are going to be way too good to draft a QB now. So I think you're in the situation that I think they're probably the number one Marvin Harrison team in my mind. Where when it comes to the end of the season, they're still going to have a bad record. Don't get me wrong. But is it bad enough that they can with the... Because they have the Texans pick too, they might be able to get in a position to draft a, uh, to draft Marvin Harrison or 
uh, the cat from Florida State, forgive my memory, but I kind of think that's the direction they're going to go because their receiving core is uninspiring. Hollywood Brown is Hollywood Brown. I mean, he's a field stretcher. Michael Wilson has been a nice story. And then Rondo Moore is always just going to be that scat back slot guy who has a place on the roster but is not a star receiver. So I think, honestly, they're going to shift into the mode of building back around Kyler despite all the talk before the trade deadline. I think that's honestly the right choice, though. Like, he's been with this team for four years now? Yeah, despite all the Call of Duty tumult and <laughs> it's so good. All, all the hubbub around that, he's good at football. He's good at football. He's good at what he does. Just and, the Cardinals haven't been great. I think they're going to talk themselves into it like we are now. Yes. Uh, CJ Stroud makes me believe in God. Anyway. Uh, Titans 14, Jags 34. Uh, Lawrence looks a lot better than he has the rest of this year. Looks like the guy he was down the stretch of last year. Looks like the guy he was in that playoff game against the Chargers. Ridley blew up. Levis is going to get a, a chance next year, and I'm kind of in support of it. He leads the league in average depth of target, so he is pushing it downfield every opportunity he gets in like a true gunslinger fashion. Not as efficient as you would like, like we saw in that first game. But I think he's shown enough to justify a chance next season, barring something catastrophic down the rest of the way. And I am I'm in full support. The mayonnaise eater. He's earned it. Uh, Raiders 13, Dolphins 20. Uh, Aiden O'Connell, I'm sorry, boiler up. Dolphins offense is way too reliant on Tyreek and not as dominant as the 70 points against the Broncos would suggest is kind of how I felt after watching this. I understand you're playing the, the doo-doo Raiders, and so you don't need to put your foot on the gas the entire time, but they don't really use Jaden Waddle as much as they should. I think he had four targets on the day, and three of them were on a drive where Tyreek was hurt. I would put the Niners and the Lions above them on offense. Now that's wow. still to say that I would that's still to say that they're a top five offense in the NFL. That is true, but I I trust those two more. Okay. I I understand what you're saying now. I can see the trust, but I don't know. I mean Vape God Mc, McDaniel. I was gonna say is, McDaniel knows what he's doing. I trust McDaniel and a He's a good coach, and, you know, he's ripping the pen on the, the sidelines every once in a while. That doesn't give him superpowers. It but doesn't, but, you know, it, it lets him see the game a little slower, if you know what I mean. I think it makes us all see the game a little slower. Giants 31, uh, Commanders 19. There's nothing to take away from this game other than Tommy DeVito won't be unemployed next year, and the Giants might have already screwed themselves out of Caleb Williams and Drake May. And... I just feel bad for New York fans, no matter what side you're on, because now you have Tim Boyle starting for the Jets, who also got smacked by the Bills. And on the other side, it's Tommy DeVito, and then next year, maybe Daniel Jones again, because they have so much money dedicated to him next year that they might just play out the string and... 
I would say, if I were the Giants, that you might even be better served going into the offseason with a plan of getting someone like Cousins. Bring in a guy that you trust more because Dable, I think, is still a good coach. And I think he's squeezing some juice out of an offense that's been playing rookies throughout the year that has a couple of really good players, a monster in Dexter Lawrence on the nose, a questionable at times rusher in Thibodeau, but I think that he's shown enough that he's justified his early draft status, and he's one of those guys that I could see really continuing to develop over the next few years. It's just about building consistency. He'll have those blow-up games that make his stats look better, but he needs to be better on a down-to-down basis. Some of that is just building strength to be better against the run. I think that they should get someone other than Jones because otherwise you're risking losing some of some of the window that you've built up with Dable. And if you let that goodwill dissipate that he built up last year with the fan base, then it's going to come year four and five. And no one's going to be behind the team and the team's just not going to have the motivation. Yeah, it's the same thing that the Jets were dealing with earlier in the season that they were getting uh, they were getting pissed at Salah because they he kept putting his putting his support behind Zach Wilson and the players noticed that. Like I, even if Zach Wilson might have matured a little bit over the last year and he's just a more tolerable teammate, when you put out the worst option possible at quarterback, they, Wilson's QB three on the depth chart now. The players notice, and it's disheartening. It is disheartening, and I understand that feeling of like, why are we putting this guy there if? Someone else, in my opinion, should deserve the spot. But, you know, he's the, he's the coach. <laughs> like, that's his decision at the end of the day, and you got to do what you got to do. And if, I don't know, play, have a players meeting like everyone else in the league does when they're unhappy with their coach or with the situation they're in. So that's... Oh. Personal take. Uh, players Pers- meetings are a bad thing, not a good thing. Uh, Seahawks... Best of the rest, Seahawks 16, Rams 17. Uh, The Rams commit corporate espionage to blow out their comps and force the Seahawks to kick a long field goal that loses the game. Uh, Vikings 20, Broncos 21. The Pastronaut is still pulling good enough games out of his rear end that I don't completely understand, but I think it supports the, the idea of Madden quarterbacks where just get a guy who can run a little bit and you're, you're figure good. out the rest. Yeah. If you can scramble for an extra 30 seconds to let your receivers run around, good. 49ers 27, Bucks 14. Brock Purdy is better than Tua. Uh, he puts up the first perfect passer rating game in 49ers history since Montana and Young. He's better than both. No, but he's obviously supported by Ayuk, who is right on level with Debo at this point. Kittle. He has C-Mac in the backfield, but I think he's, I think that he's quieted the concerns when they were on that three-game losing streak, and his game is going to age well. If they make the Super Bowl, he's going to compare to Brady, and I'm going to lose my mind. It's going to be so frustrating. I think that he's better than Garoppolo, and that's kind of all they were hoping for. Last last night, Eagles 21, Chiefs 17. <laughs> the Chiefs should have won this game. Marquez Valdez-Scanlon had the go-ahead touchdown in his hands and dropped it Quentin Johnson style. Justin Watson got hit in the hands on 4th and 25 and should have 
turn the sticks. It, it was unbelievable. They showed the graphic during the game. The Chiefs 26 drops lead the league. And Hertz is the new MVP favorite at plus 250. The Eagles might be the best team in the league. It's them or the Ravens, but they're like the worst best team in the league I've ever seen where I just have little to no faith. Kevin Byard was making some big plays, but he was old. I think that up front, they're still monstrous. Jordan Davis almost intercepting Mahone's spike was really funny. His ex explanation, too, is like, I saw it on YouTube. I thought it'd be cool. <laughs> it's the ballsiest response ever, bro. It was, it was a frustrating game. The Chiefs are still last in the league in points in the second half, averaging under six still. The lack of the receivers coming into the year was obviously a story, but they're seven and three. It's not like that it has affected them in a way that will force them to miss the playoffs. It might prevent them from getting a one seed, which for a team with these kind of problems is a big deal. Their defense is still great. I, I don't know how they didn't get someone better than McCole Hardman at the deadline. It's, it's the thing that's going to end their season. Yeah. Imagine, because I could 100% see this game in in the divisional round. Oh, yeah. Where it's them against what? It could be someone even worse. Like, imagine them against the Texans or the Jaguars <gasps> no. or someone like the the Ravens especially. Oh, God. Where you make... Mahomes is putting the entire team on the back, on his back and doing the best that he can. The offensive line held up all of last night. Everything else is great. But when you hit... Even Kelsey was dropping passes. Yeah. Was it still raining towards the end of the game? I know it was raining They're in the beginning. They're NFL players. Hey, if man, the ball hits you in the hands, you catch it. It's raining. It's raining outside right now. I it, didn't crash my car on the way here. It that That is true, but it's I'm just going to make the thing. F1 thing where it is harder in the rain. Talk about a real sport. Wah, wah. We'll be right back. And welcome back. So moving on to some basketball. I wanted to look at my top five rookies so far this season for a rookie class that is more impactful than I can remember for quite some time. Although I will say one thing I've noticed over the last few years is that each rookie class that's coming in, even the ones that are touted as not as good, have players have a bigger crop of players coming in that can contribute immediately, even if it's like last year for the Nuggets. Uh, second rounder Christian Braun comes in and is playing in finals games, where I think that talent is just so widespread across the league and in and in uh, lower circles of play, whether that's the G League or in college, I think that you're just getting more quality players coming in immediately, and I think that's been reflected this year. 
so I'm just going to run through my top five. Starting at five, I put down uh, Jordan Hawkins for the Pelicans. He's only shooting 36% from three so far this year, but on eight attempts per game to this point. And he's playing a really vital, almost J.J. Redick-ish role, but he's you know, bigger and stronger on this Pelicans team that desperately needs shooting. He's the kind of guy that meshes perfectly with Zion, someone that runs around off-ball, uh, takes... His jumper looks so buttery that it's shocking to me that he only makes 36, but again, he's a rookie taking eight a game. It's kind of remarkable that he's even at average efficiency. Uh, he's shown a little bit of bounce, but still remains a little stiff on defense. I mean, that was obvious coming out of UConn that the guy is going to need some time in uh, in NBA rotations before he's com- comfortable guarding NBA players. But to come in as a rookie, and there's a couple other guys that deserve mention here. Uh, Case on Wallace for the Thunder. Uh, just a quote from the uh, from the Ringer that I was reading the other day. But uh, Mark Dagnall was quoted uh, comparing him to uh, to Ed Reed. And watch him, and this is the quote, you'll see how even-kneeled he plays, reserved without being a cold fish, very much engaged, but rarely seeming overly high or low, aggressive but measured. And I think that's reflected. I just think that at the moment, Kaysom Wallace is not filling as important a role as Jordan Hawkins, but I think in the long run he'll probably be better if he were to play the same role. He's also an aggressive defender. Is bendier, same kind of deal where he's not like an explosive finisher, but is slithery and smooth and honestly more flexible on defense. But I think that Hawkins, because of his shooting and his fit with Zion and the fact that he was drafted in the late lottery, um, a position that at the time was honestly kind of surprising. Some thought that he might go later. He's shown enough that he's going to play in the league for the next decade. And if he improves his percentages from three, he's the kind of guy where, I mean, the Pelicans already have one of them in Trey Murphy, where if you can shoot and play passable defense, Murphy's a better defender, but play passable defense, you're going to have a spot in a rotation for years to come, especially against some, especially with someone as good as Zion. Uh, number four, I put uh, Derek Lively. Uh, he currently has a plus 7.9 point differential, which is crazy as a rookie. Thanks, Luca. And then a really impressive uh, minus 9.7 defensive point differential, meaning that his team is 9.7 points better defensively when he's in the game. Wow. The the comp that's been around a lot just because Tyson Chandler was also on the Mavericks is Chandler, but I, I think Chandler came in, he was a really high pick and highly touted as a high school player too. So that part's similar, but Chandler was clearly a defensive bruiser, rim runner, and never really extended beyond that. I think that Lively has shown a little bit of passing touch that makes me optimistic where he's coming out of the short role and he's able to make good reads from there, or as the roll man on the pick and roll, he's able to make an extra pass or get the ball down low and pop it back immediately in a give-and-go situation. That makes you just eminently more valuable and playable, where you have your... I know Mavericks fans hate Dwight Powell, but you have your guys like that that can play passable center defense. Lively's already probably better. 
But playing passable defense and running to the rim with someone as ball dominant and talented as a passer as Luca is enough. But if you can add a little bit more of that dimension to your game where you can kick it out or even be like a post hub distributed there, not that anyone runs the triangle anymore, but to get it down low and then people run it that way uh, across the perimeter and you can be that setup man and take some of the passing load off of a Luca, you become infinitely more valuable. Uh, the defensively, I kind of get Jared Allen vibes from earlier in his career, where I think Allen's probably stronger, where Lively is bouncier, but Allen was making this kind of impact early with the Nets too, and then he got really well compensated for it. His shot has looked a lot better, and maybe not a lot, has definitely looked better, and he has enough touch of the rim that I'm optimistic that he doesn't just have to be that rim runner guy going forward. And if he can add even like the David West mid range game, he has I'm not all star potential, but he's going to be a starting center for a while in the uh, in the West or the Maurice Spates role, except a better defender. And again, that guy of Fluka just can't be understated how important that is. Number three, Asar Thompson. He is already an elite rebounder and defender at 20 years old. Uh, the the comp I thought up in my head earlier was like a mega-charged P.J. Tucker. P.J. Tucker obviously is first-team all-cardio out there and not having much of an on-ball impact. Earlier in his career, it was better, but he kind of does a lot of the same shit just better, where he's averaging over 10 pounds... 10 rebounds a game and he's like 6'6", 210. Which is just, it's a reflection of his athleticism. Because think about it in the pickup game where it's the one super bouncy dude that's like 5'10", but gets every board just because he jumps over the big fat guy's back. Where he's making an impact on the boards and is in people's uniforms the entire game on defense in a way that I, I'm not the first person to say this. It's one of the best defensive classes that I've seen in a long time. You have guys like Thompson, and then I'll talk about it in a sec, but Brandon Miller already has shown that he's can be a good positional defender. He just needs to build strength. Um, someone like Tumani Kamara, a.k.a. the other guy in the Kevin Durant trade, or not the Kevin Durant trade, in the DeAndre Ayton trade, has been... He's been like... I don't know. He's so such an old school wing. Like my, they already have Matisse Thybulle, who is going to be every grumpy grandpa's favorite player. But Kamara might overtake him soon, simply because he's younger and has a better looking shot. But it he and Kamara and even a guy like Hawkins and obviously Wemby and Lively, they reflect something that's unusual in rookie classes, where it's like, oh, give these times. Give these guys time to develop. Let their bodies grow. Let them be more comfortable reading NBA offenses, and they'll become good defenders. Thompson's already there. He has 3.2 stocks per game, steals plus blocks, and he could honestly, in the future, he's already playing almost 30 minutes a game, but he could end up being the power forward in lineups with a guy like Jalen Duren. That would be monstrous on the boards and defensively. He just can't shoot at all. I think his form is decent, his elbows and placement, and just, it's not too hitchy, 
I think that he's better than like a 14% three, three, yeah, three point shooter. Low bar, I know, but if he can get even into the respectable range, he just becomes that much more valuable. He turns the ball over a lot still, but he's making these like not Jason Williams passes, but just like I fake uh, head to the right behind the back to your left type of type of passes that you would get away with in overtime elite, but not in the NBA. I think as he becomes more comfortable making those reads without uh, without sacrificing the same uh, inherent talent that's obvious with those fake out moves. I think that he could become a high assist, low turnover player, which is what we were saying about Amen instead of Asar, but Asar's there. His handle needs to improve, but I think he's already doing a lot of the stuff that we thought we'd be seeing out of Amen. Number two, this is, okay, this is so far, this is not a projection of who's going to be better. Number two, I put Wemby. 2.4 blocks per game and a 7.1 block percentage, which is just hilarious. Only 28% from three, but to this point, he hasn't fallen into like the Evan Mobley trap. Evan Mobley does not have the same buttery jumper that he does, but the trap of you don't make a lot of them early and then you just stop taking them. The jumper looks good, and he's already at a 29% usage rate, which is in the 90th percentile. He's shouldering a defensive load that should be unmanageable, and it's clear that already everyone in the league is scared to drive at him. You see the clips on Twitters of people practicing, like, the hilarious moonshot runners. With the people with, like, the giant With, the, like, brooms. Yeah, it's so funny, dude. It's like uh, back in... 2017 2018 when Steph first started being amazing not he was good before then but like but just really they started making all of his layups and runners go way high in the air for no reason when he would only do it sometimes and that's kind of how everyone feels they need to shoot there was a chart that I saw where it was tracking the like how players affected percentages towards people driving at them at the rim versus how much they were driven at. And at the lowest left corner, which would be hypothetically the best defenders, but it's more so just people who don't get driven against. It's point guards and shooting guards, and then Wemby, because he affects people's driving and interior finishing so greatly that not only is he an effective deterrent, he stops people from even trying. Yeah, stops from even trying because they're just too scared to really go at them. And he has a he has a nine foot wingspan, like, which means he can really guard the entire paint. Like you're talking about, uh, you're talking about Kason Wallace as Ed Reed. Think of Ed Reed with ten foot wingspan, where he can just cover as much of the court. Where not only is he defending the rim, but he's defending passing lanes almost to like eighteen feet. So it's hard to even entry pass. Where on the other end. You just lob it up to him, not as an alley-oop, but just throw it near his face, and he's going to catch it and seal off the guy who's probably at least six inches shorter than him. There, There's no one like him, but I kind of imagine it if, if Ralph Sampson back in the day had had even more guard skills, because they talked about it at the time where he would bring up the ball he wanted to handle, but they just wouldn't let him. 
and an even better jumper and you're getting close to Wemby. And Samson was an amazing defender. And it's the same stuff where if Wemby does not improve for the rest of his life, he's already one of the best defenders in the league. And if he becomes marginally more efficient, which he will, the, the jumper's too good. If he gets to the point where he's shooting 37% from three and he's doing all the same stuff on offense with a little bit more bulk, he's an MVP. However, I put Chet above him because even though Wemby has been awesome himself and Chet has the benefit of not really being a rookie, I think that Chet is contributing more to winning basketball. That's not a hot take. The Spurs aren't very good. I also think that Chet has the benefit of having guys like Giddy and SGA who are actually willing to pass to him. Whereas Wemby, when he has Trey Jones in the game, has a real point guard, but otherwise it's Sohan who... I. It's, it's hilarious how good Trey Jones' on-off numbers look instead of Sohan when he's in the game simply because Sohan is no longer bringing up the ball and trying to be a power forward. He's, he's moonlighting as as a point forward, but I just, I think it's Pop's excuse to try to pretend to be competitive while they actually still need more to make this team good. At any rate, Chet is averaging 17 points per game, 7.8 rebounds, 2.6 assists, which I think undersells his passing ability, and 2.1 blocks. He's shooting almost 47% from three on four a game, less than Wemby, but I mean, it passes the eye test. He has a good jumper. It's not going to be that high forever, but at the moment, he's 50-40-90, a center shooting over 90% from the line, again, only on four or three throws a game. But showing that level of touch suggests to me that he has... I don't want to say dirt because I don't want to do the white guy to white guy comparison, but it's that dirt touch, but he also has the Tim Duncan instincts on defense where he... Give him two years of just working out in NBA facilities and just staying on the court. And he's going to get to the point where it's going to be 23, 10, and 4, like Tim Duncan numbers, but he's also stroking it from deep. And I think that it could be the next two or three years. Chet is outpacing Wemby in efficiency metrics, but... At the end of the day, Wemby is like if you took Kevin Garnett and then dragged the corner of the of like the clip art box and just extended it way further. If you just hold shift in uh, After Effects or Premiere Pro and then just pull up, yep, exactly. That thing's just gonna stretch straight forward. Check can handle. Check can guard a little on the perimeter. It's not the same as Wemby. I think at the end of the day, one is gonna be better than the other. And I think health could be a big contributing factor whoever comes out on top later in their careers. Whoever can get a little bit more muscle. They're both going to get there. They're going to get there, but whoever can maintain it and just stay flexible and not be fragile, kind of like how Porzingis was. Chet's game, I think, honestly, I I think both of them can be compared a little bit to young Porzingis. That's what I'm saying, where he's just, he is the unicorn, but like, the moment someone backs him down and just bullies him, like you give him like a Giannis or a Joel Embiid, there was, there it's going to... There was a clip of him trying to back down. I think it was like Chris Paul. 
and he couldn't do it. There's the, what's the, oh, it's a really funny, I think it's Dwight or Embiid. It's someone getting uh, passed into the post and Isaiah Thomas is the one guarding him and he completely bungles it. Or clips like that look bad right now, but again, just give it time and he's going to be destroying the league just as we all anticipated, which is kind of amazing that both of these guys are performing as they were prognosticated to, because that doesn't always happen. Uh, just a couple of quick mentions. I said Brandon Miller's name. He's not shooting efficiently, but he's shown enough of that of that wing, like stay in front of you, gliding athleticism to be a good on-ball defender. He just has to stay engaged off-ball and improve his efficiency he can handle and again Paul George is such the easy comp but he has that I'd say like Jalen Brown handling where it's good it looks good as you're watching him before he gets close to the defender but as soon as he gets in his airspace it gets ugly that needs to improve but he's shown some passing and he's got a little bit of that nastiness in them that suggests to me that he can be a real competitor going forward that's what she was on a more likable team. I mean, thinking the same thing about impact, um, Heat's Jovic. Jovic, yeah. Uh, I think he's, he did, he's in the G League right now, I know that, but he has the potential to also really help that team a lot. He he played a little last year, and I, I mean, functionally, let's go by minutes. He hasn't really played a full season's worth in the NBA. Um, and he was talked about as the main piece of a Damian Lillard trade, too, aside from Hero, which was funny. I think that he showed some some good passing chops in in earlier games this season, and I think he'll be something going forward, but he's not he's not Jokic as much as the Heat tried to play him up to be. Next, I wanted to do uh, some some Goldilocks players and teams. So a couple of players and teams that are hot, cold, and just right. Uh, starting off with the Warriors, who have been cold before breaking their six-game losing streak against the Rockets last night. Um, setting Draymond to the side. What the hell? Um, I don't... I'm, I'm, I know that... I know that Poole is clearly a problem, and there was the clip going around last week of Poole completely missing the the timeout play because he was trying to tell everyone that it was his team and knew what he was doing, and then he tried to look over his shoulder like the guy that didn't study the night before, trying to cheat off the smart kid. Yeah. Um, bad luck, but I'm kind of... St- I'm kind of starting to think that Draymond has just lost all of his luster as the enforcer teammate, and now he's just a dick. And that is what it is. He was able to keep that up for long enough to, I mean, probably make himself a Hall of Fame defensive player and a, an all-time pairing with Steph, but you, what are you doing, dude? Uh, like I said, they broke a six-game losing streak against the Rockets, but they lost two games against the Thunder in that stretch to a team that at this point, kind of looks on the same caliber as them. And if you're losing to them twice over the course of a week, it kind of tells me that you're not in the upper echelon of the West. Chris Paul has lost anything resembling lift on his mid-range jumpers. He's dropped to 27th percentile in points per shot attempt, according to Cleaning the Glass. And he's dipped to 40th to the 60th percentile across all of the mid-range 
when he's been dominant there every year of his career and he can't shoot threes. He was really good last night. It was, I, I saw some stat where he's had 57 games in his career with 10 plus assists, zero turnovers, and I think 15 points. And the next closest guy is like Mike Conley with 14. He's been doing this forever. And despite his effective field goal percentage being a cosmically low 46%, he's still a positive impact and probably doing more for them than Poole would be doing. But it's it's a better presence than Poole. As much as I think they could use someone like Poole for his firepower, his defensive lapses and just overall uh, comedy of errors leads me to think that they made the right choice. Yeah. Uh, shout out Brand Puts. I always oh. say his name wrong. Oh, Pudzinski. He popped off to give the Warriors their first score above 20 points on the year last week in the game that uh, Dre and uh, Clay got ejected. And he has like classic. I don't want to say who's going to like him the most white dude MFR written all over him that I think is going to come into play. Uh, shout out Santa Clara for creating, for getting two solid rookies in back to back years, him and Jalen Williams. That's kind of cool. Uh, hot ish. The Rockets uh, losing last night. Now 500 on the season. Dylan book Brooks has been great and a much better presence than I think people gave him credit for where it's like, he's going to China. That was ridiculous. I get it. Over the course of the season, I think he's probably going to look underpaid or overpaid rather, but he has been a good defensive presence. And I think Udoka has done enough to, to really bring this team into something competitive. Jalen green has looked like a real spacer and someone that can potentially contribute to winning. Although, likely in a secondary role for some reason to Shangun, which is again amazing where he had the uh he had the ultimate matchup against Jokic the other night which are you getting Pokemon Shangun or Pokemon Jokic uh just slow-footed white guys stare down best thing I've ever seen he Shangun is not the same distributor granted he's younger I, I do really think that the best version of this Rockets team is Shangun being the offensive hub. Guys like Green running around the uh, running around the perimeter and catching passes or cuts a la Jamal Murray. And then they have real defenders like Tari Eason. And Van Vliet can still hold up even though he's still shooting under 40% from the field. Brooks is obviously a good perimeter defender. I think that they have built something that can probably make the plan. I feel pretty safe saying they're going to make the play-in at this point. I know it's 12 games, but barring injury to one of those main guys, I think Udoka has established enough of a defensive culture that unless someone else on the team decides to uh, commit crimes, I don't really see how that culture would fall apart. I, I still have my mixed feelings on Udoka and his departure from the Celtics, but he's clearly done something to... To change the entire aura around the team, and I respect that. Uh, speaking of the Thunder, they have obviously been good. Chet drops 34 and hits the turnaround three to send it to overtime against the Warriors and beat them in the first game they had where someone other than Steph played well. Uh, I feel pretty safe saying that Shea is the second best guard in the league behind Steph. I know that that's blasphemous to guys like Edwards and 
Booker. I mean, it just depends on what kind of guard you're talking about. Are you talking about like all around scoring, passing, a little bit of defense, or are you saying like comparing to a McCurry where he's like just offense? He's a dominant offensive hub in kind of the same way that because it's it's kind of a mix of Curry and someone like I like not Halliburton he's too good of a passer but like he is a good distributor he is so herky-jerky with the ball he's kind of like the slower version of De'Aaron Fox but I was gonna say De'Aaron Fox might be a good even but even more efficient where he doesn't shoot enough threes to like really be a spacer. Fox has been good from deep this year. Um, but I think that it's between him and Edwards for number two. I think Edwards is a better on-ball defender when he's locked in, but Shea has such good instincts and hands, and he's getting in the way. He lacks the same upper-tier athleticism that allows him to just be everywhere. So I think in two years... When Edwards is hitting his prime, I think he and uh, Curry's in his denouement. I think Edwards will end up being the best guard in the league. I, mean, I, I think Shea's going to be top three for the next five years. Those Kentucky guards, man. They're crazy. I mean, they are insane. Fox is averaging over, he's hot too. I mean, Fox is averaging over 30, keeping pace of last year, improving it wasn't a fluke, um, improving the Kings aren't a fluke. Him and Sabonis, the Sabonis Halliburton trade continues to be a win win. The Kings are still pretty good. I think that they the light the beam fervor of last year is not the same just because we've already seen it now. But I mean, Malik Monk, uh, geez, Malik Monk is shooting forty percent from three. Yeah, he's so still spacing he's, like crazy. He's not a bad player too. Murray's really good from deep. They have real guys that Fox can kick to. Tyler and I hero. Okay, I think uh, not Tyler, Kevin Herter. <laughs> yeah. Same guy, essentially. Red Velvet. No, but I was saying Tyler Hero is another Kentucky guard. Another Kentucky guard. I forgot. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, just right. I said the Celtics. I kind of think that they're performing to what... I wouldn't even say optimistic expectations were. I think with Porzingis, they've been better. I think Holiday's been as advertised. They lost to the Hornets, so all of America lost. And I hold that against them. But Porzingis has been great and been a real defensive presence and shockingly healthier than Robert Williams. He's allowed Horford to play less minutes. And I think that he so far, he might have, he might have kind of saved the Celtics because Williams being hurt so often and then forcing Horford to play as many minutes as he did last year, it really limited their rotation in the playoffs. And you can never trust Robert Williams to be healthy. Now, swapping Marcus Smart for Drew Holiday, essentially. I know you lose Malcolm Brogdon, too, but... I think it's a good trade. I think that they made themselves one of the two best teams in the league, whereas coming into the year before those trades, it was a lot of talk. It's like, oh, it's just a retread. They're going to keep doing the same thing, and then they keep losing in the conference finals or in the second round. But... With this team, if everyone's healthy, I think they're my favorite. I think Marcus Smart was not as good as Drew on offense, which was obviously his main fluke. But like now, you have a more better Marcus Smart on your team. I mean, look what he did for the Bucks. Like, I think it's criminal. He was great. 
the year he won Defensive Player of the Year. I think it's criminal that Marcus Smart has a Defensive Player of the Year and Drew Holiday doesn't. Mr. Flopper. I think if you look back at player polls where it's like, who's the best defender in the NBA every year Holiday's on there? Smart's gotten some votes in there too, but I just routinely have always seen and heard people being like, I do not want to go up against Drew Holiday. I know the player's opinion isn't everything with this kind of thing, but like sometimes it is. Uh, Anyhow, just right. Clippers over the last few games, they put up a good fight against the Nuggets and beat the Rockets and the Spurs in their last two games, not blowing the doors off anyone, but with with Westbrook taking a bench roll and Harden starting to be more of a focal point of the offense, it makes more sense, at least against bad teams. I think they've put a cap on themselves. I think that Harden puts a cap on them. I think that he still can't play defense. I think he's still unwilling to work off ball in a way that would actually help the offense. I think that Tyron Lue yelling at Paul George and being like, I need you to be a bad MFer is true. I think George and Kawhi are still the best players on. That's not hard to believe, but I'm sneaking towards. George was really good earlier in the year, and Kawhi's been so hurt. He's slowed down a little. He's still obviously Kawhi Leonard, but I'm close to saying that Paul George might be a better option as the focal point at this point in their careers just because I think he's maintained more of the, his athleticism than Kawhi has. I I think Harden helps you in the regular season because especially as George and Leonard miss games, he can step in in the same way that Westbrook did last year and run a team that will win you games in the absence of those guys. I think when you're playing them all later in the season and in the playoffs, you're really hamstringing yourself because they cannot all work together. And if you're trying to play your best five and those are your best five, it's going to be clunky and that will just kill you against a team like the Nuggets. Like it did. Uh, Colder, they've turned it around more and they have a record reflecting that they're a good team. The Bucks. I just wanted to rub it in my face. Yeah. Reestablish my concerns about their defense, especially in contrast with someone like the Timberwolves, who are really hot. I think they're actually a good contrast where a lot like last year, that Gobert trade did not seem to fit, and the Timberwolves suffered, and people made fun of them. I mean, it's still a terrible trade. Don't get me wrong. But It's kind of the offensive version of that where the Timberwolves defense wasn't good enough to justify the Gobert trade. And right now, the Bucks offense is good, but not the best in the league. And their defense has been awful. They are slow and they cannot defend in transition. Whereas the Timberwolves have adjusted marvelously. And over the last week, Towns has been going off and looks engaged and has been able to play with Gobert. They still have an amazing defense. Edwards has become one of the faces of the league. And, I, I mean, I think it looks sustainable, just based off all of that. I mean, I think if they keep switching just how much offense and defense each of their bigs are doing for the Timberwolves, I think Cat and Gobert would be able to stay healthy throughout the season. But then also, you know, if someone's hot, let them do it more. And they have good depth and defensive infrastructure with Nas Reed, it's funny how much money they put into the into the center position, but when you have all three of those guys and can rotate them through, I mean, you're right. It does 
prevent you from having to play them all too much. It prevents a disproportionate defensive load from being put on Cat or Reed because Gobert is still very good on that end. Edwards and Mike Conley have been one of the better defensive guard pairings in the league. Jane McDaniels is a monster. What, what do they call him? The seatbelt. I think that he's really... He deserves that title. I don't know if he's... I feel pretty comfortable saying that he's the, the best perimeter defender in the league right now. And when you have a guy like that combined with Gobert, even if he's 5% diminished from the height of his jazz days, I think that you're in a good spot. Uh, just right, I wanted to shout out the Magic. Uh, they've been above 500 to start the year. Ben Caro, Wagner, uh, Jalen Suggs has become one of my favorite players in the league just because I think Jalen Suggs is going to become Marcus Smart as Smart gets older, where he steps into the role of that guy that's like such a pestilence and annoyance, but he is so invested in every game that he plays that you can't help but kind of love him. He still has the talent of a top five pick. He still really can't shoot enough, but he puts so much out there. He reminds me a little of like a Josh Hart too where he's not always playing amazingly, but there are times where he'll just get two offensive rebounds in a possession where you really need it. And, you know, Fultz is playing. Uh, Wendell Carter. Uh, Anthony Black has is another one of those. They have, like, four of them, where it's just dudes with enough mf -er in them to, to inspire the masses. And it actually has been contributing to win, where in years past especially last two years, they started to get guys that people loved, but it wasn't turning into real production. Now those are coalescing into wins, where I know last week, Ben Caro, they give up a big lead they had to the Bulls, and then they just throw it down to Ben Caro. He backs it down in the post, and he hits the game winner. Stuff like that is good to see. It shows that Ben Caro has confidence, even though he still can't shoot, and... I think he's a couple of defensive steps away from being a regular all-star. Hot, the hottest in the league. Not last game, but we're going to ignore that for now. Uh, so far this year, Tyrese Halliburton is averaging 23.5 points. He's currently 50-40-90 from the field. He leads the league with 11.6 assists per game. No player has ever averaged 20 points per game and over 10 uh, assists per game with 50, 40, 90 in a season. And you can see it on the court because everything he does is efficient, efficiency of motion, passing, and he still does it with some flair where he'll do the, the Rondo fake behind the backs. He's a great shooter. He's improving as a defender. I think he's kind of a shoo-in as an all-star starter at this point, just looking through the East at least. And then... I think he's one of those young dudes that will get invited back to the Olympic team because he seems he's the perfect connector point guard. He is becoming he's becoming Chris Paul, where it's the same thing where he had those what 32 assists and zero turnovers over two games. That's Chris Paul stuff. Where you are so meticulously running an offense that the Pacers are absolutely gunning it from three. They've been great. They're still bad on defense. But they are currently in the playoff picture. I think if you look at the in-season tournament odds, they're actually one of the team's favorite just because they've won uh, enough games within their group against the Sixers especially that they might actually come out. And 
it's one of those teams where if you face them in the first round, you might you're probably still gonna win if you're a good team, but you'll go down two one just because they drop 143 points in back to back games. And I think that a lot of that can be attributed to Halliburton, where he's better than Sabonis. Kings are still good, but I think in the long run that it's going to look worse and worse. Uh, not going to talk about it much, but cold, cold place in hell for the Charlotte Hornets. Um, Lamelo's been great, don't get me wrong, but probably the best that we've ever seen him, which makes it even more disheartening. Don't need to talk about it much, but uh, them beating the Celtics and uh, persona non grata hitting a game winner makes me violently sick to my stomach. And... I would be okay if they lost every game the rest of the season. On a happier note, we're going to run it back with some bad bets. Uh, last week, since Raven's the one here, I went two and three, so functionally Raven went three and two. Okay. <laughs> and that makes me upset. So we're going to run through the Thanksgiving slate this week. Uh, there's three games going on Thanksgiving. Packers at Lions, Commanders at Cowboys, 49ers at Seahawks. We're going to pick them, go head-to-head, and then whoever wins, wins. We're also going to look at some of the in-season tournament odds for the rest of the year. Odds provided by none of your business. Uh, First one, Packers at Lions. That's the midday game. Packers are plus 7.5, and and the Lions are minus 7.5. Raven, which side do you want to take? Even though I'm a Packers fan, after watching the Lions game this week, I think they're going to beat the Packers. By how much? I think they can beat them by 10. Okay. I, I'm i comfortable taking the Packers just because I believe in enough uh, Packers devil magic BS that I think a late touchdown cover to cover the 7.5 is realistic, so I feel comfortable taking that. Even a field goal, it might. Even it, a field it, goal just to get it under down. 7 points, yeah. It will probably come down to the field goal. Which would be fine by me. I mean, the Lions... It was a very un-Lions win last week, which is kind of the most frustrating part about it for me as someone who's been watching them struggle my entire life. Lions, best start in 60 years? Yeah. But I think that they've kind of shaken a lot of their demons. So I I think it'd go either way. I think them winning by a touchdown is very realistic, and they would still cover, the Packers would still cover at least. Uh, commanders at Cowboys. Commanders plus 10.5. Cowboys minus 10.5, obviously. Slightly more... Juice on the Commanders at minus 108, the Cowboys at minus 112. Which way are you going? You know me, man. Them Cowboys. (laughs) Let's go the Commanders. I think it's fair. They beat beat the Panthers by 23, but they've had... It's also an in-division game. They get weird. I think it's completely possible Sam Howell just randomly has 350 yards, and we're looking at... Uh, Cowboys down by three with five minutes left, and then they could still win but cover. So I hear you. I think the Cowboys are enough better that if things click right, they they should beat them by three touchdowns. But I think those are really the two outcomes where it's uncomfortable or the Cowboys just smack them around. They just lost to Tommy DeVito too, so spirits aren't high, and they're playing on a short week. 49ers at Seahawks. 49ers are... Minus seven and getting minus one of four odds on it, whereas the Seahawks are plus seven at home. Which are you taking? I mean, the Seahawks just haven't been great this year, so I'm gonna take the 49ers. Sadly, I think it's I think it's a little fishy, a little funky 
has a little stink. There's because, something fishy in Seattle. Well, because they're they're seven point underdogs at home, and I get last game was disappointing, and they're playing a good deal. But the the Niners just lost Hufanga. They're all pro safety. I think that Metcalf had like a real number one receiver game last week, and I think the Seahawks are probably on the upturn offensively. So I'm kind of I'm kind of optimistic about their offense at least the rest of the way. And then obviously Witherspoon, Tariq Woolen, that defense has only been improving. Leonard Williams is only going to get more comfortable. I kind of want to like I'm comfortable taking the Seahawks because I kind of want to take them to win too. Because I just I I don't like being that big of underdogs at home. It's just weird, especially in a place like Seattle, where there's always a real home field advantage. I think that you run the risk of of the Niners getting kind of jumped on earlier than they think. It's close down the stretch, game-winning field goal, Seahawks still cover. Lastly, a couple of in-season tournament odds. The winner, we're going to get to the actual elimination rounds in a couple of weeks here. And right now, a couple of odds that jumped out I'll let Raven pick before I do, but I know which one I would take. Uh, the Celtics are currently favored at plus 390. The Bucks at plus 440. The Lakers at plus 550. Nuggets at plus 800. And the Timberwolves at plus 950. Those are all the odds that are under 1,000. Right below them is the Pacers, which, again, is interesting just because they're probably going to win their group and therefore be in the eliminator pool. But between those fives, Raven, who would you take? I mean, the Timberwolves really do stand out, but I'm going to have to take the Nuggets. That's good, because I was going to take the Timberwolves. I I think that this early stretch of the season, they're going to be the story. I think that their defense is good enough to win it, and then Edwards has shown that he can be he can be the guy that wins or loses it for you at the end of the game, and I kind of just want to believe that he's going to be the uh, someone who carries them to this in-season title, and then I think it's going to get out of control where people are going to start picking the wolves to, to win the whole, to not only win the West, but potentially face off against someone like Milwaukee or, or Boston and beat them in the finals. Yeah. I think that we have to wait for Jamal Murray to come back before that's safe to say, but I, I think it's becoming a real possibility before we go. Uh, fill me in on F1. Yeah, Vegas, baby. Vegas happened this weekend. Uh, it was the coldest race start in, ever in F1 history. So at, what does that what does that mean, and how does that affect the track? So I, I'm going to have to throw it over to the Celsius for temperatures just because I don't know the exact conversion of my head. But You communist. I'm so sorry. Um, usually track conditions are about 20 to 30 degrees Celsius, which is about... 80 to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. However, the tires is the thing that is problematic when it is so cold because usually once your tires in the range of 60 degrees Celsius to 80 degrees Celsius, for them to be warm up and to be properly getting the grip that Pirelli tells them that they should be getting. And because of that, you would see like on the opening lap of the race, Fernando Alonso around, right around turn one throws it off and there's a huge collision starting with a yellow flag. It, it was something where even four laps in, uh, another young driver with a lot of talent, uh, Lando Norris, throws it into the wall and has a huge crash and actually has to go end up at the hospital because of it. But 
It's a great race. Um, I think a lot of people who had the problems with Vegas ended up feeling like it was okay. I know in my personal opinion, which I'll let people go check out our podcast to listen to that. But Yeah, Raven has an an F1 pod that just dropped earlier this week on, on the same feed here. So go check it out. Yeah. The degradation degenerates. Um, You're so quirky. I am. But really, it's just not something that was entertaining for F1 fans. I don't think a lot of the drivers did not like this uh, spectacle of like being shown off with the grand ceremony and everything. I know a lot of them were bothered by that, especially the two Red Bull drivers. That being said, though, it was a really interesting race. Ferrari did really, really well, although they had a 10-spot penalty for signs after the manhole cover incident. But Red Bull still won. For uh, Max can win from whatever situation he's ever put in, but I think Charles Leclerc was the driver of the weekend, and he came in second place, taking past the Red Bull driver on the final turn of the last lap. So... It was a really good race. Um, Abu Dhabi is next week, final race of the year. So we'll have another podcast coming out around then. Right on. All right. Uh, Raven, thank you for joining me as always. Of course. Uh, Shout out to Charles Leclerc. Charles Leclerc, yeah. Charles Leclerc. Uh, Shout out the... The Dutch man himself, Max Verstappen. Is he the one who won? He is the one who won. I was trying and, to remember. Uh, Sergio Perez came in third. Why did the race start at one here? Uh, mainly to appeal to the European crowd. Oh. I mean, this... That probably didn't make it any warmer. No, it didn't, which is... It's one. Of, it's midnight in the desert. It's going to be cold. I don't know what F1 or FIA person was like, yeah, let's do it. I know it's warm in the desert all the time, so... I don't know. If you ask anyone in Vegas what it's like it gets in November, cold at night. it snows. Whatever. It snows. So I don't know. It's it's one of those things where it's not the end of the world. But shout yeah. out Vegas. Shout out my dog. Shout out the uh, the just despicable DePaul Blue Demons for losing to the University of San Francisco. Oh God. <laughs> Thank you for everyone for listening. As always, check out Ravens podcast. Yeah, Thank check. you for listening, and I'll see you all next week. Check out the other podcasts on the Lithio Network, and uh, have a happy, happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving. Peace.